This is CliffCentral.com. Bad blood. Oh, it is coming. It is coming. Bad blood is happening. Taylor Swift on cliffcentral.com. You're speaking or you're listening. You're speaking. You're listening to, uh, frankly speaking on Cliff Central 9 to 11. We're speaking about is the violence on campus justified? Got a whole bunch of people in studio. Uh, Fasia Hassan from Vits has just joined us as well. Uh, thank you so much for joining us, Fasia. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. And you? I'm so good. I'm so good. Vitz is going through some very interesting times at the moment. Yeah, look, I mean, um, as other universities in the country, we're also facing an accommodation crisis in addition to the financial crisis which we've been facing and or really anyone in higher education has been facing over the last few years, um, not even the past few months. What's the, what's the feeling and what's the vibe on campus at the moment? Is it back to usual? Is back to work? Or is, is there still lots of frustration, lots of security around? We heard from the UJ guys that it feels like a militarized state. Is it the same at Vitz? I think there's a lot of political will from management to try and make it business as usual. Um, and there is a heavy uh, security presence, private security. So it is very much the same, very militarized. Um, but there is also a lot of student frustration and a lot of student anger, which is very much justified. Because as much as we, as the SRC, was able to achieve a huge victory in that the upfront payment was wavered, essentially, if you didn't have that nine or ten thousand rand, you didn't have to pay it to register at Vits. But what that then led to is several hundred students who are now in the system who are able to go to class but don't have accommodation, don't have a bed to sleep in. We have students sleeping in libraries and in computer labs anywhere else that they can find because they don't. They're just not able to get it. And it's, and it's two reasons. The first is capacity. There's just not enough beds in Vitz residences. But the other issue, of course, is financial. Because the, the student who wavered the upfront payment, in theory, didn't have that money and still doesn't have that money for accommodation. And so we find ourselves in a very precarious position because we're advocating to get students into the system, but then they don't have a bed to sleep in. So we've had to really um, challenge how how we do it. We we in negotiations with management, we in negotiations with private accommodation, and we're also doing everything that we can. I mean, every night we go into libraries and we look for students to say, hey, we actually we've made a plan. Mm-hmm. You know, there's emergency accommodation. We've got oh. gift of the givers in our food bank providing um, breakfast and lunch, and then you can take a pack for supper. You know, so we we're working in crisis mode, but all of these are symptoms of the greater system which needs a structural change. We can't keep bringing in gift of the givers. We can't keep raising money. We can't keep finding ourselves in this position year on, year on. You know, we need to see a greater structural change, which is what we're saying needs to be free and quality education for the poor. Faseha, bringing some of our listeners in on the conversation, on WeChat, we've got Inati, who says the cause is justified, but the violence is not justified. SJB on Twitter says violence should not be part of any civilized society. So, yes, the cause is justified some people say but why the violence i want to justify and maybe make a distinction here Mm. between radical action militant action and violence because there is a difference when we shut down universities across the country last year this was a militant action we sat in front of the gates and we refused to move we didn't harm anyone we didn't physically attack anyone but that was a militant action and the, the difference that I'm, I'm, I'm trying to do, draw to is that when there is um, a radical action that has a focused target and a focused result, 
there is space for that. That is something we advocate for. But violence without direction, violence that seeks to harm students, and I will give you the perfect example at Wits University. There was a rogue group of students who attempted to burn a bus while students were still on it. Hmm. Now, that is not something we condone. That is something we will never, ever condone because the whole point of our movement is to allow for students to come to university, you know, to, for, for them to get an education. And if someone's going to burn a bus while they're while students are still on it, that's not the kind of violence we'd ever, ever be proponents of. And another example is burning of a library. How does it make sense to burn a library when you're calling for free education? Let's say free education comes tomorrow. Where will we study? What resources do we use? So there's a very big difference between direct action and violence. All right, uh, let's bring in our, our Cape Town colleagues here into the mix uh, from UCT. We've got uh, Simon Reke. Uh, I probably have pronounced your surname very badly. I apologize. Please correct me. What is your sur- How do I pronounce your surname, Simon? Oh, yeah, that's, that's about right. Simon Reke. Oh, wow. Look at me. Okay, <laughs> awesome. And on Skype, we've got uh, Nongkolo Mtikulu. And uh, we've also got Ntupula Masipa. Uh, they join us from UCT. Uh, Simon, you're part of the Roads Must Fall movement. Nongkola yep. and, and Tupula, you are part of the SRC. Am I correct? Correct. Yes, I've got everyone here. <laughs> okay, so we've now got UJ, Vitz and UCT online. This is very excited. Of course, we're talking about is the violence justified on campus? Guys, uh, let, maybe let's start with you, Simon, uh, from the Roads Must Fall unit. Is the violence justified? Uh, so, like the framing of the question is confusing because it implies that violence has been a part of strategy. Someone just spoke earlier saying that the distinction between uh, radical militant action and violence. So what we saw wasn't something that was part of strategy. It really was just a response, really, to the provocation that came from management and like a lack of foresight into management action. I mean, I, I read, I read uh, the Sunday Times article where you weren't quite happy with what they said uh, uh, in your interview with them, saying that it was a response. The burning of the art at UCT, going into the reses, Fuller and Smuts, and burning of the art, was a reaction to management breaking down um, the, the UCT shack. Is that correct? Well, it was the threat of removing the shack, so we did. The paintings were burned before the shack was actually destroyed, but that happened after the threat of forced eviction came. Let's let's bring in Nokola and um, Tupula here, guys. SRC, it must be a bit, a bit of a difficult time. Management are telling you to do one thing. The roads must fall, and other students are burning down Max Price's uh, uh, offices. What, what's how do you guys feel? You're a bit in the middle there. Uh, hi, you're speaking to Nokolo. I think. We we are at a time where people are asking whether or not, um, and I'll say this in inverted commas, um, violence is justified in terms of what is happening. But I think um, with that being said, it's only a natural response to a, a system that is essentially systematically embedded in oppression and embedded in um, in 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 violence itself. And so I think the question that I've been seeing people ask is, um, why are paintings being burned? But the question that people are failing to ask is, why should it take to that level of extre- um, extremity for management to realize that there are students who've been homeless, that um, 
they've been warned, they were warned three weeks prior to all of this that happened by the SRC and by the movements themselves that actually they are going to be students who are going to and they're going to be faced by this. Mm -hmm. And so the question we should ask is, how is it that we are more focused on burnt paintings rather than caring about the fact that there are students who are homeless and students who don't have bed spaces and students who are requiring or had received residence offers and those offers were revoked. Um, It speaks, I would say, to the moral compass of the society. Which is it that we're more concerned about? Are we more concerned about... um, Respectability politics. Respectability politics and preserving art that doesn't reflect the demographics of this institution entirely. Or should we be more concerned about the fact that this institution continues to over allocate residence spaces to students only to fulfill the housing system? But at the end of the day, they are directly ensuring that students will be homeless. Uh, guys, one might argue that uh, why does it have to be either or of those? Why why can't the art exist in parallel to 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 continuing to bring down uh, uh, the system, right? And I see I see the guys in studio in studio they're yeah, shaking they're, their heads. Shaking their, they want to uh, fight but, you but, now, but, but yeah, but 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 art. Uh, we we don't just live in a world of contemporary art. So so th- th- with that argument, how do you respond? I think the short answer, and I'm going to jump in into Pilat, the short answer is symbolism. I mean, we cannot in any way um, disguise the fact that you have paintings of people like Jan Smuts, you know, heralded in living spaces where students are expecting to eat and live. Mm. Um, how, are we, how are we ignoring what symbolism is? How are we not interrogating that? I mean... Yeah. Um, why is there no diversity in her art um, if that's the argument? And if, I mean, there was also the argument of um, some of the art being done by black artists, but they're still not representative of our reality. They're not representative of who we are, our culture, our space here. And it just um, echoes the fact that UCT, as with um, all the other universities um, across this country exclude the black narrative. Guys, uh, this is this is very interesting. Uh, like, we're, there's a lots of nod shaking in studio here as well. Simon, maybe I'll speak to you, and then let's get the guys here in studio to to, to speak about this as well. This has become very racialized. Um, this this discussion and conversation, and the conversations happening on campus. It started out with housing, which I think everyone should be able to get behind. It started out with end outsourcing, which, to be honest, I went to UCT alumni, very proud of that. Lucky to have that opportunity. And outsourcing, end outsourcing was happening. We were having protests 10 years ago about this end outsourcing, both black and white. Um, it, this shouldn't be a non-racialized issue. Uh, but it seems to be turning quite heavily on, on, on the racial, along the racial line. Simon, as part of the RMF, you know, do you, do you, do you hate white people? We don't hate white people, but I think what's happening is the fact that people are just, uh, if you can say, Waking up from a very deep slumber, which has been 20 years approximately. I think that's what's happening. I think people have been spared a particular narrative and people are starting to reject that narrative. But more importantly, are starting to see how slow it is and how it doesn't actually change anything. The human project that was embarked at the 1994 founding moment is becoming to be undone. And none of the actual objectives it was meant to achieve has been achieved. And there's now a deep feeling of betrayal the fact that what was promised hasn't been delivered to people. And I think that is why it's going back to those very racialized politics. 
Guys in studio, what are your thoughts? Is it becoming racialized? Is it? Is it? I mean, you need to understand this. It's a racial dilemma. You cannot subtract that from the issue because people who are experiencing currently, uh, who are currently outsourced, uh, are black workers mm. in institutions. Mm. And if you're going to subtract that from the matter, then it's it it echoes something else. You're being dismissive. And here's what's happening currently at UJ. You have a uh, Protesters, workers protesting to be insourced And then you have a white worker A white person who works for management uh, Security department Who walks up to a uh, uh, Who walks up to one of the outsourced workers A woman And beats that woman up for protesting And what does that What is that symbolizing You know, we have to bring that into question But and uh, so, so let me throughout. Let, me, let yeah. me put this to all of you in studio here is that not just pure violence? Is that, I mean, like, you see, the reason why I'm, I'm getting, I'm interested in, in your discussion is because you're saying this is a racial issue. Outsourcing yes. is a racial issue. The, the, the problem with that argument is that it excludes someone like me who's white to be involved in this discussion because I also believe outsourcing is incorrect. I think it's absolute bullshit, excuse my language, that we can can't, use just as a point of order, comrade. <laughs> point of order, <laughs> you can't say bullshit and then say excuse my language when when you okay, meant to bullshit. say it. It all didn't right. slip out. Okay. All right, all right. Point okay. of order taken. We'll let me just interject the there. Just let me hear let, hear me out first, and then I'll all come right. to you, and you can interject. Treating of workers in that kind of way, using outsourcing for twenty plus years, not paying any kind of reparations, not looking for any kind of re- re- retirement annuities, using the system to uh, exploit workers. Yes, the workers are black. We do acknowledge that and we cannot take that away. But that is not to say that everyone shouldn't get mad in South Africa. And specifically, every color race student should get mad about this issue. Um, to be told, there is, I, I, I get your point of view and I agree with it. But there is a pain you cannot relate to that we feel. When you grow up in a black African community, you learn that every elder is your mother or father. Now, it is disheartening when you see your parent being slapped or being forced to work like a dog day in, day out. When you are from a privileged, I must say, white racial background, these are the people that work for you. And though you respect them in some cases, you cannot relate to the pain. So when you want to bring up this ideal of, yes, we should all get angry, but because I'm seeing my mother be slapped, because I've seen her be treated like a slave, I get far more angry. Because you go back to your house in Houghton and you eat your tea and cookies. I must go back to my house. No, <laughs> oh, the I'm living in Houghton these days. Okay, I go good. back to my house in um, Alex Sueto and eat bread with the same parent who's been treated like, you know. Like rubbish. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So okay. the anger is increased. And and the the real issue here in context is to put the situation. Let's not take off the let's take off the blinders. This is a black narrative, and do not subtract that from the situation. And whether you are sympathetic to the situation, what we are really much more concerned about is the patronizing that's happening from the current system and people who come into place to seem to want to correct the situation. And that's what we've been tired of. And it's happening countless 
and, and countless of times in engagements that we have with management uh, that seem to sympathize with the situation. But in reality, for example, uh, we're still sitting with task teams and there's no tangible uh, uh, information on whether, when are we going to complete the process of insourcing, how are we going to do it, and the strategy of demographics around it and how that uh, then empowers these people not only to become workers for the institution, but also to further themselves in terms of uh, whether education or developing themselves as people. And these are the things that we're looking at. We're not just looking at getting people jobs institutionally, but we're also looking at how it develops into society and what the role fits in altogether. So this is just not about race but it's also about the dynamics it presents when these people... We're not helping people. People are sufficient enough, and black people are sufficient enough to f- develop mechanisms to help themselves. We don't need people to patronize us or to show us how to do things or to make mm. way for us. We can do that ourselves. But what we're saying is, once we've developed that, fall in line and find uh, methods and ways to say, okay, we can coexist with a society of people. Yeah. All right, we, uh, we're going to bring in uh, UKZN as well here. We're, we're speaking, is the violence justified on campus? Uh, we've got UCT uh, in the house. We've got Vitz. We've got UJ. Uh, we spoke to Rosemus for un- uh, movement as well through Simon Reke. Thank you so much for joining us. And uh, UCT, guys, do you feel the same? Do you feel like management are actually listening to you guys? I think it's, uh, I think to a large extent... Uh, the difficulty is that they're not listening quick enough mm-hmm. with regards to this. And so, with and in saying that is, they're not listening with the urgency that is required that um, the SRC puts forward to them with regards to these issues. And so, which is why I say that um, then with regards to what has happened on campus, it's extremely justified because what has shown is that they're willing to listen only when um, the day-to-day happenings of UCT is are disrupted because it then disrupts the order of UCT and says these are the realities of students and you can't necessarily try to hide or try to preserve, you know, the fact that um, there are students who are homeless, there are students who are facing financial exclusion. And so... I think, to a large extent, the, the management of this university is, has set up a task team, for instance, three weeks later after when they were warned, which is indicative of the fact that they are not working with expediency and that a lot more pressure is going to be put on them in, over the next few weeks because of that. Mm. <coughs> let's, get, let's get UKZN in on this conversation as well. We've got uh, Nonjabulo Tabete. Uh, on the line here, Nonjabulo. Good morning. Hi, how are you? Oh, fantastic! Can, can thank you, just, you. Can you just correct yourself, please? Okay, We're speaking what? to a UKZN student here. Ooh. Please greet her in the right language. Sabona nonjabulo injansi si. What's happening, Lapo, uh, UKZN? What is the situation? Uh, is there violence? And what are you guys specifically protesting about? Um, for the two days, so today and yesterday, there hasn't been any action on campus because we have police here. 
We have had security score, very brutal, by the way. And just so it's been quiet. Students are intimidated. But what is happening is that for over two weeks now, we have not had um, our cleaning staff, the ladies that clean, we have not had them in, and the the state of the campus is appalling. So in students joining the strike, it's so that management can sit down and actually listen to what the cleaners have to say, because no one's paying attention to them. It has become so bad that you cannot walk into a bathroom at Howard College. They clean the front. They hire people to clean the front where guests drive in and drive out. But when you enter the, ca- the campus, it's appalling. So university students, most of them, have taken it upon themselves to demonstrate. It was started off as a demonstration. But the response of the university by hiring a security company that has people that wear masks, you can't even see their faces, and are extremely brutal. I'm sure you saw the vigil of the female student being manhandled um, all over social networks now. It is extremely brutal. And that is when students then take it upon themselves to become violent. Non Jabulo uh, and 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 uh, the guys in studio. I, I keep hearing a lot of you saying, "Yeah, but uh, you know, this thing is uh, th- these people is almost as if the police and security just uh, showed up on campus unannounced and uh, for 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 no reason." But guys, what must tend to happen when uh, when when uh, when 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 there's protesting and so on? Uh, we've had Adam Habib, for example, on previously, and 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 he's also asking the question: What must tend to happen when I have a, a, a young a, a black student who wants to continue learning, but you have other students getting in his way? What must tend to happen when uh, a family uh, has 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 invested their last amounts of money to get you all the way to Johannesburg to study, um, and then when you and then once you arrive. You don't. You can't study. You have to be, and ultimately, you don't achieve what you what you were meant to and wanted to achieve. What what must then happen? Why why must I then not put security on um, on on uh, on okay. Let's ask. Let's ask Faisha. Fasiha. Fasiha. I'm sorry. <laughs> So I think um, VC, our VC has been very, very vocal on this issue of private security and justifying it. Um, and the truth is that the presence of security came after the first day in which we disrupted registration. And we disrupted registration at the beginning of 2016 to bring back fees must fall into people's minds. To say, look, we're not done. Fees have not fallen. In fact, if anything, they've just Increased. frozen for a year. Oh yeah, frozen. They've, they they haven't they haven't fallen at all. Uh-huh. And so what we did is 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 we had some form of disruption, some form of demonstration, um, to highlight it, to bring it back into people's minds. And mm. that was at Wits University in particular, when the private security arrived and hasn't left. Now there's a lot of interests that need to be balanced, um, and. I think perhaps what's happened is that management has wised up since fees must fall. Because I think, and, and this is, this is my analysis as a student. Um, I completely disagree with the use of it, but my analysis as a student is that obviously the more security and the more riot police they have on campus, the less likely it is for, for us to mobilize, the less likely it is for us to, to, to uprise against the system. And yes, there are students who want to study. I want to study. My colleagues to my right want to study. RMF, we all want to study. That's what we're fighting for. We're saying that we want to study in a space that is not a colonial space, is one in one that we, we feel comfortable in, one that we have access to, not just financially, um, but one that we feel like is our space as black people. So that's the first thing. But the second thing also is, and I harp on about it all the time, 
this structural change. We are closer than we have ever been to the realization of free and quality education. We are closer now to a structural change than we've ever been. Now, all of a sudden, when we speak, people listen. Five, ten years ago, as was said, the same issues were being brought up. Uh, the decolonization project is not a new one. But now, when people are listening, we need to take advantage of it. Who knows whether we'll have this kind of ear two, two, three years from now even. We need to use whatever we can now for a greater structural change so that we can ensure that generations to come, so it's not just about us, generations to come are the ones who are going to benefit because we need to be the youth group and we need to be in this post-1994 um, um, born free in inverted commas um, generation. We need to be the ones who provide that free education so that not just our children but our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren can benefit from a system that we've changed. Non-Jabulo? Mm. Hi. So what's happening there and, and why can't this happen um, through negotiation, why is it on your terms or, or nothing at all, it seems? Or are we just not seeing right? Luckily, you're speaking to a person who has been in the SRC and has sat down with management before. Mm. And so I'm um, a part of the students that know what actually goes on. Basically, can I just correct by saying no one is here to accumulate a huge debt just to disrupt classes. We all are here because we want our qualifications. We want to study. We want an education. Mm. So, but what happens here is that Firstly, the SRC is mandated by students to go to management and argue on their behalf and um, tell management what we want. When the SRC fails and they deadlock, and I've, 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 I've sat in countless meetings that go on throughout the night up to early morning where we deadlock with management, where management won't budge. Firstly, I've never seen a situation where students are demanding something like a luxury. We always demand something that we need, something that is, ne- as in, as, as in a necessity, like hygiene. And at this point in time. But the, the arrogance of management at sometimes when students are the majority on, on, in institutions of learning, mm. it, it is appalling. We cannot stand for it. So what happens is that we go there, firstly we start to negotiate, and management doesn't, doesn't say, let's meet each other halfway. They can just give you a plain and simple no. Mm. Mm. It's no. Not, not, sorry? Look, uh, just for see how wants to jump in there. Just to echo what my comment from UKZN is saying, it's it's very true, and I'm speaking as a sitting SRC member. Uh, this accommodation crisis is something that we have gone to management about. It's something we have gone to Prof Habib about to say, look, this is the situation. We need to do something. Yes, there are some strides. I do believe it's happening very slowly. Just as it was echoed with the UCT SRC, I think we're going to have a huge problem if we're not able to solve that crisis in the next few weeks. And what we're probably going to have at WITS is an uprising of students who will say, but we told you, we've been trying to solve this problem. Like I've said, we've put in interim measures. We've put in the emergency uh, uh, arrangements. But right now, that's not a sustainable solution. And the negotiations are in the process. But if it fails, then what, what, what source do we have? What, what, where do we go to now as students who don't have any other bargaining power? History has taught us that we need to go to the streets and protest. Mm, so yeah, management true. can feel the pressure from students and know that students actually want this. Because when you sit there as an SRC of 10 and you discuss with managers, that's they, they how you know. Because they think we're, we're pushing maybe an agenda of our own but guys, while we're being mandated by students. But so guys, when the students take to the streets, yeah. they see that actually students know what they want and they really want it. Uh, guys, people who are off campus, uh, who've left university, uh, older people are looking at this and 
framing it in their minds as a conversation between mother and and, and child or parents and children. And they're saying, well, basically, the, the, the students don't want to accept what the parents are saying, and so they're now throwing their toys out the cot. Uh, because Adam Habib is maybe sitting there, or whoever the vice chancellor is saying, and saying, yes, I hear you. Yes, I agree we need free, but my, but my hands, but my hands are tied. I don't even have the money for it. How do you guys Lampard. respond to that? Truth. I, I, we had a meeting, an engagement with the vice chancellor of UJ countless times last year. And, um, in those engagements, uh, constantly, I'll send out communique. I've heard your views. I'll send out communique to say what we're going to do and take way forward from. And, Meanwhile, as students and activists, we're not going to sit around. We're going to mobilize. We're going to uh, improve our stratagems to make sure we get as much solidarity as we need. And one of those great uh, and symbolic events of violence that happened in UJ is that when we had a night vigil, in which in that night vigil we had uh, Zuelin Zimavavi, a couple of other people who were in attendance of it. And I want you to note this. Management knew we were having a night vigil. And they understood what the purpose was for it. And it was to pledge solidarity with the struggles that the plight of black students were experiencing and workers. And the night vigil was due to end at half past 10. And I, it was half past nine when Zuelin Zimavavi decided to leave with a couple of people from the workers union. And during that time, five minutes after he left, police knew it was supposed to end at half past 10. But five minutes after Zuelin Zimavavi left, police opened fire. Mm. They opened fire? They opened fire. So it's rubber bullets. Rubber bullets were Stunk grenades. Uh-huh. Stunk grenades. We literally ran down the street into a park and into a garage for mm. safety. Imagine. For safety. When UJ protests began, it was only four students at the UJ gate. Only four students. And a, a count of about 32 bouncers approached four students and manhandled them. I'm trying to show you that these students were not inside campus, but outside. And in an occupiable space, according to the Gatherings Act, which they are supposed to occupy as students, not disrupting any classes or exams, but I want to show you that the system that we have is patronizing and at the same time will, after engaging with you, shoot you. Mm. I, it's, it's, you know, I, I really can uh, empathize with that because I was at the FISMAS for uh, Parliament, uh, or yeah, I suppose we call it Parliament, not Parliament, where were we? We were at, uh, in Pretoria, at the Union Buildings, and it literally came to 3 o'clock, and at 3 o'clock, the police had had enough, yeah. and they opened fire, and it was absolute mayhem. We've got uh, a lot of people speaking to us on Twitter, as well as on WeChat. Is the violence justified on campus? That's the question we're asking students from across South Africa. We've got uh, Darren uh, on WeChat, who says, Hey guys, sorry if this is a bit off topic. I have a question for the students, protesters or not. What is their take on university uh, studies being a privilege and not a right? If someone who wants to study can't afford to study, why must the fees be brought down? Please don't get me wrong. I am uh, I am all for educating the youth. But as things stand, education can't be for everyone, unfortunately. Are we fighting for a possible free education oh. society in the future? Who wants to handle that first? <laughs> yeah, it looks like, like everyone wants to jump in the bed. Let's get Who Non-Jabulo. Let's get Non-Jabulo in on this. We also want to get UCT in on this as well. Okay, Non-Jabulo first. Oh, I, we still I, have I don't know if I heard it. I don't know if I heard it correctly. But towards the end, you said that um, the the fellow had said that education can't be for everyone. 
Am I correct? He said, he, he said education can't be for everyone, unfortunately. Are we fighting for a possible free education society in the future? We are. It's about time that we are. I have been a member of um, an organization that used to have a mark every year for free education, and no one listens. It is about time that us students take a stand, and if we don't take a stand now, we will be those parents. Whether we can afford it or not, we will be those parents who have to suffer like our parents are suffering now. Mm. So I, I, I really do disagree with that education is not for everyone. Then who are we going to select mm. to get educated? Yeah. How do we then break the cycle of poverty without including education in it? Ladies from UCT. Not being edu- an uneducated society, it regenerates problems that the country will have to then deal with in future. Sort mm. it out now. Give us our free education. Make a plan. I believe government can make a plan. Mm. I really do believe can make a plan. We gave our VC last year about three days, just three days, for him to go out and source out funding. So I will tell you, he came, I don't even think he took two days, and came up with a million. As the SRC of the time, we started an ICAP, um campaign. It didn't do as well as we had hoped because registration was closed. But we had a proper plan. We were targeting municipalities. So if we had students from a municipality that had excess funds that they haven't finished, if they can't donate by the time that um, their financial year ends, they should. There is money that is sitting there that, is, uh, that can be used towards funding. It's not true that education is not for everyone. Mm. It regenerates problems in this country that someone will have to deal with, and most probably it will be us. So why not fight for it now? All right, uh, ladies from UCT. Yes. Okay, I'm going to jump in and say that all this undeserved privilege that white people have been able to enjoy. How do you break that? How could you possibly break that? Lots of clapping here. Lots of clapping in the studio. (laughs) Coming in and getting the opportunity to have that education. You're looking at a country where over 30% of blacks are unemployed in in comparison to about 7% of whites. How do you break that? But education. You have an income an annual income averaging of about over 360,000 rands for whites, 60,000 rands for blacks. How do you break that? But through education. So yes, everyone needs to be able to get that access to quality free education. And I think um, what you, that comment is, is very much embedded in a capitalist ideology. Yeah. No, yeah. the haves and the have-nots. <laughs> That's true. The haves and the have-nots and those Amanda who have Combrid. must go ahead and get the education and those who can't, can't. And my question is, why is it that we're so comfortable to live in a society that considers civility to be white monopoly, to be white capital, and the economy to be continuously run by a minority that has never been challenged for its privilege? And so if we especially want to reimagine a different society, then we cannot continue to speak about a rainbow nation rhetoric that is not mm-hmm. reflective of black people, mm-hmm. not in just positions, but of black people owning the economy. Mm-hmm. And so how else do you expect that to happen if black people aren't afforded the opportunity to actually enter into spaces where they were once told that they were undeserving? Mm-hmm. And a huge part of that is education. Mm-hmm. We, the, if, if we look at it right now, it is it is not a lie that a large portion of this country who are black cannot afford a university education and are funded by the by the government through NISFAS. And that in itself is also an issue because NISFAS doesn't fund everyone. Mm. And so 
yes, we want free education and we want free progressive education specifically for the black child mm. because that mm. has been an issue past for a, a long time coming. And, you know, the winds of change need to start blowing because yep. we cannot continue to live in a society that is truly not reflective of a black majority. Mm. Uh, non Jabulo, as we let you go, uh, just uh, a word of encouragement from somebody who's been through the system. Kaya on WeChat is saying, this is a fight that everyone in South Africa should be either fighting or supporting. Uh, some of us are sitting in these air-conditioned offices with NASFA's debt, a student loan still hanging over our shoulders, on top mm. of the fact that we still have to support our families because our parents are cleaners, tea girls, and garden boys. Power to the students. Non Jabulo, as we let you go, uh, what do you have to say to those of us who have uh, who who have who who left uh, university ages ago? We're sitting here. We don't know how to get involved. Uh, you know, to, should we come to the marches or you know, should we fund you guys? How how do we participate in this in the, in in this thing that you guys are leading? Um, thank you. I think the easiest way is to come back to your institution or get in contact with someone that is in your institution and preferably not someone from the management, someone that can tell you from a student's point of view as an alumni what is going on and what it is, what it is that we need. We have a large base of alumni. I mean, if you calculate it, we did the study before you gave it in and we calculated as per municipality how many graduates that we have and how many graduates are successful and how many of them are well off. But still have, some of them still have that financial aid um, debt that they're in. Come close to the university, guys. Don't judge us on social media and say that we're hooligans for protesting. By the time you see the protest on the media, things have gone bad, but it doesn't start out that bad. So come close. Speak to your, your students, your SRC at the time. That is at the time there, even if you're an alumni. Get to know what the real issues are. Take, like, treat us on, treat us on Twitter. We, we, UK evidence has recently realized that we don't put much on the media as the um, UCC, and hence the world does not know what we're going through. So we've recently started that up now. Tweet us. Inbox us on Facebook. We will tell you what's going on. And then you can decide, on depending on where you are in society right now, how much you want to contribute to. Even if it's just telling us how you dealt with some of the things that, uh, with some of the issues, because some of the issues are re- reoccurring. They're not something new. Mm. So tell us how you dealt with it when it was your time, how you approached management, and what strategies that you guys used. That would be information that would be of use to us right now. Non-Jabulo, thank you very much uh, for joining us uh, as we let you go. Uh, Of course, we are getting a lot of uh, comments on WeChat, Twitter, and so on. We've got Roman who's saying you break the cycle of poverty by expanding the market, growing the economy, and jobs will be created. Education statistically is not very important for success. The question becomes, Roman, how do we build an economy with people who are not educated? Uh, I, I see I see the students <laughs> chomping at oh, the bit. Uh, yes. You, guys, yeah. you yeah. see, that's yeah. the problem. We've got to get other, other yeah. varsities involved here. That's the problem. What is it? When you're black, you cannot speak economy. Mm. Why not? No. This is not the concept of... You see, economy is a word used to run away from the fact that we still need to define what it is as our own space as black people that makes our, econ- that makes our country flourish. Mm-hmm. You see, you can't define it for us what needs to for the country to flourish. And one of the problems is that our elderly people in our society have become desensitized. And then our academics in the institutions are very conservative. 
they know about these real issues. In fact, they've done in-depth analysis and studies on these issues, and this information is kept in archives. Mm. So that's the real issue here. So okay. you can't say that it's an, it's an economy that's going to bring way forward. First of all, who brought the economy into Africa? We had our own system of trade, our own developed mechanisms of how to do things, and we have to come back there to define what it is to flourish. I have so, five so principles l- that l- I l- normally voice out. Let me just understand. Out. Are you saying yep. we should go back to the agrarian economy? No, I'm, that's not what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. What I'm saying to you is the five principles of how life flourishes in a normal situation. First of all, people are created inherently creative. And secondly, uh, people are diverse. And thirdly, people are subjective to their own Capacity of thinking Now once you subject me to a principle That is foreign to me I'm forced to think that's the way things are supposed to go But once I'm subjected to my own consciousness And space I'm open to understanding things in my own way and manner And that's what we need in an African country We need an open approach That allows Africans to define What is and what is not You can't bring me a European concept And tell me that that's how An African country and state Is going to and supposed to flourish I, I also think that this word economy, and I think that was the point that, that was trying to be made, yes. has been used time and time again yeah. to say that now is not the time. You're yeah. selfish for fighting for free education because the uh, economy is uh, suppressing, you know, there's, there's all of these issues. Sit down rather, wait a few years mm-hmm. and then come back. And this is not an argument we've just heard for free education. Mm. Whenever... People from a disadvantaged background, whenever black people protest, whether it is about service delivery, whether it be about healthcare, whether it be about education, we are told the same thing by the same people, that the economy can't handle it. You're being selfish. Take a step mm. back and wait. And we cannot keep, keep, keep doing that. We Waiting cannot. For who, exactly. Right? Okay. I mean, the, the whole point of, I completely disagree with the tweet to say that education doesn't make a difference. If you have an unskilled uh, youth, and this is from a capitalist point of view, purely on that level. Uh, if you have an unskilled youth and an unskilled group going into an economy, how else are you going to grow it? How else are you going to say, let's expand the market, whatever the, the, the case may be, without that inverted commas formalized Western education, which is the truth as, as it stands, that's what our universities provide. And so I think there's no link between saying that education is not linked to the growth of the economy or the growth of the market. Of course it is. Yeah. In the current system that we have, it is inherently linked. Mm. Yeah. All right, let's bring uh, let's bring the University of Pretoria in here. Uh, tax uh, from taxes, uh, Duke, uh, Duke mm-hmm. Duelang. Hi, hello, how are you? Legai. Ah, kemnatuena. Ah, giteng, giteng. Or should I say, khwe mora, khanda? That's that's the language. I'm joking. Hey, listen, it's a language. It's a language. Hold on, Duke. Uh, this is, uh, there have been a number of issues across, uh, campuses, uh, in South Africa. We, we've seen the offshoots of racist tension starting to build up, and none as much as UFS and the University of Pretoria. Uh, I saw a poster where Afrikaans students protesting for Afrikaans in their, in their university. Uh, were were akin to the 1976 struggle, which I couldn't believe. Uh, what is what is the issue at the University of Pretoria exactly? Um, our main our main issue right now is the issue of uh, Afrikaans having a privileged space within the institution. Um, it's been sustained as a as a special cluster within the institution that should not be interfered with. 
and instead the university works in a systematic way where it preserves the existence and the supremacy and the privilege of Afrikaans in the institution, even though they are such a minority as they are right now. We're in a context where it's not just really about the language, although the language is the one area or the one avenue in which we seek to address the issue with, but there's, there's residence culture as well. There is employment practices. There is how there's how some cultural portfolios in the university that are meant to deal with student culture are actually predominantly occupied by the funding of Artyakafia, by funding by the university. You see, I told you there's a problem with Pretoria, Rory. Do you see that? I told you. Back off of Pretoria. It's, it's, there's no yeah. reception in Pretoria. That's hey. your problem with Pretoria. Hey. Hey. Don't leave Pretoria alone. That's, <laughs> that's, my, that's my alma mater. That, and, 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 and what Duke and them have done, you know, they went, they went and destroyed Marabastat. We used to have a place where we just chilled. It was called Marabastat. They've After gone, the game. They've gone and they painted there and they've said uh, Africans must fall. Yeah. So these guys these guys have done stuff that uh, <laughs> many generations have failed to do. We just saw it as a place to sit. So I'm very keen to hear what, what, what Duke has to say. But gents, again, Duke, are you still on the line? Duke? Oh, dear. Oh, dear. We were struggling. We're struggling to, to, to get Duke here. But gents... Yeah. Those of us uh, and ladies in UCT, we're still, we're still with you there. Um, let me ask you, actually, what, what should we do? Uh, you know, I'm, I asked Non Jabulu this and I'm asking you guys. We're sitting here on the sidelines. Uh, we, 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 we're certainly alumni of these various institutions. Uh, what must we do? And I, I want to ask specifically, so Non Jabulu said, no, get involved, uh, link up with the SRC and so on. But let's, let's speak to also the white uh, alumni, uh, is this not their battle to fight? Must they just stay out of it? Um, Let, let's get the ladies in UCT. I think, um, in addition to that, they should <laughs> go back to. I mean, if they if they understand what's happening and they see it, it's not enough to just agree and to share Facebook posts. You know, in the spaces that they occupy, they should stand in solidarity and and continue to educate their. <laughs> Compatriots, I guess. Let, let me also understand from all of you, uh, for, for, for Siha, and, and there are a number of different organizations uh, on yeah. this thing. You've got Rose Must Fall that I've heard. We've got, we had Kotsi earlier from Ingulu Freehade. We've got Fees Must Fall. Mm-hmm. Like, why are there so many of you fighting for the same cause? Is there division amongst the ranks? No, no, it's, it's, it's one cause. Um, we want one thing, but. Mm. What happens is that we also want to localize it, you know. Um, so yeah. Rose Must Fall, we want to localize it to Rose, Occupy UJ, you know, with FMF. We're not trying to say, no, we have our own thing going on, but we're trying to say that, look, um, we want, with all the movements, we want to highlight you the fact that it's happening on so many institutions. Because mm. Rose yeah. Fall can be like, oh, no, it's one thing. No, we want to show you that it, it's happening across the board. It's not just with or UJ. So there are no divisions amongst the students. You guys are not fighting. Uh, there's the Progressive Youth Alliance fighting with this and this. Are you saying that there is absolute unity? Um, see her? I think we need to be a bit more honest. Yes, yeah. be um, a little bit more honest. Jens, you failed <laughs> on honesty. No, no, I d- no, no, I don't disagree. I think that we are all fighting for the same thing. Mm. We are all fighting for free and quality education. That's that's not what what the issue is. We mm. are all under one banner. But there are issues. 
Um, and I think it comes from the fact that you have different organizations, different people, different ideologies who are coming together under one banner. And there's also then there's, there's this assumption that there's never been different ideologies and different ideas in any movement or in any struggle for, for whatever the, the, the goal may be. Of course, there are different ideas. Of course, there are different uh, uh, conceptualizations of how we should do it. But does that mean that we're not going to achieve it? Does, does that mean that we're any less strong? I don't necessarily think that. I think yeah. that it actually gives us more more weight and it allows us to look at things from totally different perspectives so that by the time we arrive to our goal, we'll know that we engaged every single stakeholder within the university and higher education space. But are you guys listening to one another? So you complain about uh, management not listening to students. Are students listening to students? Why are the divisions continuing? The wonderful thing, I think, about Fismas uh, Fall and everything that we've been doing is that we've been united against one enemy, mm. management slash the state. Um, and what that has managed to do is that even if we have disagreements, even if uh, you know we, we have that internal fighting, we always put it, I do believe that we always put it aside. Um, and I think we're going to see it in the next few weeks. Um, the, the various different organizations, again, as we saw it last year, putting, putting those differences aside because it's bigger than us. Yeah. It's bigger than each and every individual that, that, that's involved. Okay, I want to bring in our I want to bring in our last university here. Sorry, guys, to interrupt. I know it's been a we could go on for five six hours with this, which is it's fascinating debate. We're talking about is the violence justified on our campuses? We've been speaking to UCT, UKZN, UJ, Vits, uh, UP, uh, and now, lastly but not least, UFS joins us on the line through Apelele. Uh, Apelele Dumelang. Hello. Hey, are you there? Can you hear us? I can hear you. I'm just struggling to hear you. Clearly, but I'm listening. Apelele, you are from UFS. Uh, we saw Monday night what turned to a absolutely horrible, horrible event. Um, not only uh, was the rugby interrupted, but more importantly, there was huge, huge racial violence, which actually, you know, if you had put a black and white tinge on that video, it would have taken us back to apartheid days. You were there. What, what was going on? Okay, um, uh, I think as, as, as I had alluded to someone earlier, that it would be a serious injustice if I were to not uh, uh, tell people where actually this thing came from and that it was not even a, a, a racial uh, uh, struggle to start with. What had begun as, as a struggle of workers against outsourcing since Thursday um, as, as, as peace, peaceful marches that were happening on campus, on Monday, we, 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 we were joining the workers at the, as the workers and student forum, and we were outside campus. They were not allowed entry in. And then we tried to use access into another gate. And then as we turned our backs from the police, we were not silent. We were not on national roles. Uh, the police fired ammunition from our school. Um, that's when things went out of control. We were running, and then that's when we had 38 arrests. Um, now, the issue is then, Students then mobilized themselves, and the reason for that was that we cannot continue on, ca on campus like nothing happened uh, or business as usual, whereas there are people that have been arrested. Because even after people were arrested, if you were, if you were in central campus, you would have seen that classes are continuing, everything is normal. So students got angry, and as they were marching to, to Shimla Park to actually disrupt the rugby, they were they were hit with, with these are black students now. Uh, they were hit with eggs and they were called gaffers on their way there. 
and upon arrival, um, they were denied entry. And now what you see on the news is, is, is actually during halftime and what actually transpired from then on. But now more importantly, another, a, a, another brutal incident that actually happened even worse than what happened at Simla Park was that black and white students uh, regrouped and they, 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 they went to a, a, a residence called Sisse. These are now the black students at wanting to attack all the white uh, 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 residences including Sisse's, of which they were holding sticks, there were stones, and there were hundreds of them. And then there was only like, not even more than 100 white students around. And then the attack started. A live ammunition was given off from the white students. We, from the black student side, there was no ammunition. We don't have guns. And stones were hit, and it got very chaotic. We were there from 9 o'clock till 2 o'clock in the morning. The only way that, uh, that, that, that the whole gathering was dispersed was through a mob riot of, of, of police that actually hit uh, live ammunition all over campus. We could not walk anywhere. had to be escorted uh, off campus because some uh, of us... Let, let, let me just interject that. Just give us a sense of, uh, you know, where is this all leading to? Are we going to see a death? Very soon, especially on USFS, we're talking about live ammunition. Uh, students are firing shots at one another. Are we expecting to see somebody die soon there? Um, as the situation as is very chaotic right now, I cannot say because as we were expecting the Forum Youth to attack yesterday, they did not. So it's very chaotic. I cannot say right now. I, I think you can hear from the background that they're singing. There's new security because we don't trust the police. We don't know actually what's going to happen from now on. But it's about to get more chaotic. Are you are, are you ready to die for this for this cause? I I am ready to die for this cause because for too long we've been under systematic oppression in this university, and this is what happens when you put things under uh, the surface for such a long time. This is what you get. Wow, thank, th- thanks a lot, uh, Aparel. We have to wrap it up there, unfortunately. Uh, but uh, power to you guys. I mean, those words, I am ready to die for this cause where there's live ammunition, those are just heavy. Fasia? I think um, from our side, we want to obviously throw our full weight behind our comrades at UFS um, and to be very clear that I think we haven't overcome all of the issues um, in a post-1994 space. Mm. I don't think that we've healed the racial tensions. Mm. And I'm saying this after reading the article on the colorblind campaign that's been mm. started at the University of Pretoria. Oh dear. Um, and I think that it oh it no. takes it, it takes us far too far. It skips. <laughs> it skips. Uh, you know, I can't stand colorblind people. It skips like 10 different steps to say yeah. that, firstly, we haven't acknowledged the privilege that even myself as an Indian female, not as a woman, but as an Indian person, has experienced over a black person. I think we need to go back and say, this is the, what, what, what we face. These are the levels uh, of privilege and the levels. And I'm, I'm talking, this needs to be a fully intersectional movement. But until we're able to acknowledge, until we're able to dismantle, until we're able to overcome that, only then can we even discuss or think about a colorblind space, which I don't yeah. even think is, mm-hmm. I mean, that's another debate. Mm-hmm. Um, but the fact that we have 
our our comrades and our colleagues willing to give their lives i think as any one of us in this movement is willing to do mm. it speaks to how serious we are and speaks to the greatest structural change that we need ladies in uct as we let you go uh there've been accusations that you guys are being used by foreign agents regime change has been thrown around who is funding you guys you guys are just students how do you guys just how you know who's funding you is this all based on pocket money Um, this is literally all based on pocket money to the extent that we're able to speak. Um, yeah, our pockets have taken a huge dip and they will continue to do that until things change. Are you being used by foreign agents? Absolutely not. <laughs> But you, you've got an American accent. <laughs> Why you gotta go CIA. there? Why you gotta go there? <laughs> All right, just, All right thanks to, guys. To end it up uh, in studio here, thank you to UCT, uh, the guys at UCT. Uh, we've been speaking to Nokolo Mtikulu, uh, Mtimkulu, sorry, and uh, the big tree. Uh, yeah, the big, big tree, tree. exactly, yes. and. And uh, Ntupula Masipa, thank you so much for joining us uh, today uh, from UCT. We really appreciate it. And just to just to speak on the language policy, just mm. shortly before we end, um, this shouldn't even be a discussion because, first of all, this is an African country. Second of all, Afrikaner people understand very well that one of the fundamentals to flourish as a nation, whether in the academic space or in any space in life. the language is the minimum barrier and that's one thing that we seem to be arguing about whether black people should be able to uh interact build a nation educate themselves in their own language and that for me is frustrating and it's surprising enough that we're having a debate about the language policy and we're having Afrikaners who are hell bent on defending this language policy which seems to marginalize and minimize the space of what Africans can do in their own country in their own institutions by the way whether you think these institutions belong to the Afrikaners or not they don't because they're in our country and that's one thing we need to also take initiative of so it's really a concern we okay. can't make this a debate we can't we all right can't. let's let's wrap up and just hear from from everybody here quickly uh if we, very quickly what is the way forward um in literally two lines from each of you what is the way uh, for tweet <laughs> national shutdown national <laughs> shutdown all right now um decolonization of everything you know i'm covered <laughs> <laughs> are you covered sure are you covered i'm just concerned we shut down and then what we need to address issues this country hasn't done anything okay yeah whoa What a wow. jam-packed show. Wow. Mark Mapori says, UFS has always been its worst enemy. Students and residents are paired up on the basis of their race. For no other reason, they say that they need to get along. UFS is the reason there are racial divides. What a journey around the country. Andrew Levy, we have done it. Uh, we've been called naive. We've been, uh, we've been educated, schooled, inspired. These people say they will die for this. Oof. I think it's time we went and joined them. Yeah, I think uh, I think we can learn a few things from them. That's for sure. I want to thank everyone, all the students who participated. You can hit up the podcast www.cliffcentral.com uh, forward slash frankly speaking. And uh, you know, Rory, just thinking about this, there was another there was another show that we need to do, which is 
Fuck the police Because uh, honestly uh, I don't know what's uh, going on But we need to discuss uh, there that There you go again That is what we you need to discuss You've got a trust fund dude Hey, <laughs> <laughs> hey if you want to hear more We want to hear from more from you So please get in contact with us on Twitter At Rory Shabalala Or at Yebo underscore Levy This will continue Thank you so much for debating with us Have yourself a fantastic morning Ciao ciao hey. This is CliffCentral.com